Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, in honor of Israel's independence, we will look into the history of the miracle that is the modern state of Israel, still standing after 75 years and against all odds. Let's get started. This week marks the 75th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence of the modern state of Israel. Finally removing the 2,000 plus years of colonization and exile of the Jewish people to re-establish the land once controlled by the Jewish people. For those who believe in the traditional stories found in the Torah, you know that this land was forever promised to the Jewish people, with the seat of God in this world situated on the Temple Mount in the holiest of holies of the Jewish Temple. For those of you who subscribe to a less traditional view, and maybe more of a historical one, the well-established kingdom of Israel, eventually splitting into the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, once thrived until the various colonizing forces and exiles forced many of the Jewish people to be expelled outside of their ancestral homeland for thousands of years. Following the growth of the anti-Semitism around the globe, caused by various countries and peoples like the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, and the Holocaust, the Jewish community saw a growing desire and action to return to the ancient homeland of the Jewish people. They wanted to join those Jewish people who had never left in the holiest place on earth. This sets the stage for the end of the British colonization in the Middle East and the UN declaration of a Jewish state in some of the land of Israel. In 1948, the state of Israel accepts the limited amount of land given to them by the United Nations with a plea to the countries and peoples around them to work together to make a better Middle East for all. To which the response, of course, as we know, was an attack on the days-old state of Israel by multiple Arab armies. The Jewish people in the new state of Israel were far from a trained armed force. They were mostly agricultural and tradespeople with many newly immigrated Holocaust survivors. They stood no chance against the modern armies of the Arab nations, who had been armed and prepared years earlier by the British and French under their independence agreements. There were makeshift Jewish protection groups prior to the British leaving one called the Palmach, which eventually became the Israeli Defense Forces today. Unlike the Arab armies, the Jewish defense groups had very difficult times trying to obtain war materials and weapons to protect themselves against the impending attack by the Arab nations. No countries would sell the Jewish Defense Forces planes, tanks, or guns. There could have been various reasons for this. Firstly, maybe trying not to anger the Arab League and their countries by arming their Jews of British Palestine at the time. Or number two, maybe they did not think spending money to give weapons to the Jews who would surely be wiped out by the Arab armies, was a good use of their money. International Jewish groups, wealthy Zionist Jews, and members of the Jewish defense groups in British Palestine did incredible things to get the weapons that they needed, including setting up shell companies to buy military machinery, which would be secretly sent to the Jewish defense forces. The lengths that Israel had to go to in order to manufacture their own weapons or secretly get them from unwilling countries and places was unbelievable. Israel had one major thing on its side before the war began that is, the Jewish diaspora. The Israelis had been able to beg, borrow, steal, and manufacture various weapons, but they had limited experience with many of these things like warplanes and other military equipment. Israel saw an influx of a number of Jewish soldiers who had left the battlefields of Europe and the Pacific, fighting for various allied countries. These soldiers had needed experience, and they had come to fight for the new Jewish state. In a story found in the Jerusalem Post, they described the scene in one American city that could have been repeated all over America. On May 28, 1948, 14 days after Israel was born, the Southern Israelite Weekly of Atlanta carried an ad with a powerful image of an Israeli soldier 
gun raised in one hand and a plow in the other. Money and weaponry were sought openly. As the ad read, quote, close your ranks and quote, Jewish soldiers on the march, secure for the new state of Israel and the blessing of freedom, provide a real homeland for the hundreds of thousands of fellow Jews to whom the new state of Israel is the new hope and one promise. This is the hour of destiny. Stand up and be counted. American Jews secretly left the United States to fight for Israel in 1948 and 1949. This is because they were moved to place their own lives on the line to assure Israel would survive. One of the many examples was Norman Schutzman of Wilmington, Delaware, who was a lieutenant in World War II and served in the European theater. After the war, he returned to his home and spent a year or two in college. By January 1948, Schutzman disappeared from his parents' home and got through American customs in order to fly to Europe. He was then smuggled into Palestine in order to fight. Since he was an officer in the American army, he was put in charge of a unit near Tzfat in the north of Israel. Another Jewish American, Irving Citrin, was seriously wounded in the Battle of the Bulge for the Americans. He returned to Atlanta a year after the war and completed his bachelor degree in engineering at Georgia Tech University. He got a job at an African-American college and taught Hebrew school classes on Sundays. Then Citrin, like Schutzman, left the United States via Canada. By the time of his arrival in Israel in January 1949, Israel was already a state, so he immediately joined the Israeli Defense Forces to fight. These two men are a small sample of the trained soldiers from World War II who stood up to support the Israeli Defense Forces in their attempt to hold off the Arab armies. Their experience in flying planes and military strategy was invaluable to the lesser experienced Israeli civilians. Somehow and by some miracle, Israel not only survived the onslaught by Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen, but they were able to gain more ground than the United Nations mandate gave them. The Israelis succeeded to survive and hoped that this would solidify their existence and presence in the region. Unfortunately, this was not to be. Israel's neighbors not only did not want the Jewish state to exist, they did not like seeing the Israeli democracy and Western values on their doorstep. Round two of the attempted expulsion of the Jews from Israel began in 1967, when the same nations, give or take, try again to remove Israel off the map and push the Jews into the sea. This time, unlike the first time, Israel was not a new nation with no military experience. They had established the official Israeli defense forces and were able to get support from other nations for weapons and even design their own weapon systems. Still, somewhat of a surprise, but not as much as 1948, Israel not only survived the all-out attack from all sides, but they were able to push back the Arab armies to give Israel more defensible borders for any future conflicts. Most importantly, Israel was able to regain control of the Western Wall and reunite Jerusalem. This wouldn't be the last time that the Arab nations would try and destroy Israel. Israel had become confident after their wins in 1948 and 1967, but unfortunately this may have been an issue because in 1973, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day to the Jews, Israel was attacked by many of the same nations once again. Many soldiers were not on active duty because of the holiday, and the attack took the country by somewhat of a surprise. Some historians do suggest that the government should have been more prepared had they listened to the warnings, but in the end the result is the same. The state was not prepared for a war. With the military might of the Israeli people, and possibly with help from a higher power, Israel succeeded once and for all against the Arab nations. Not long after, peace would come between Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. In a country that has had so many existential wars, it is not a surprise that they would have a holiday that memorializes those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for their country. 
Yom HaZikaron is the day where sirens wail around the country and people stop to mark the sacrifice given by many to have the country they have today. Many countries around the world have Remembrance Days. However, not many are like Israel. Israel marks the Remembrance Day of fighters and victims of various terror attacks at the same time. On this day, Israels typically spend the day remembering those they have lost. Many Israelis visit military cemeteries and leave written stories about their loved ones on their graves. The hope is not only will they honor their loved ones, but others who pass by may learn a few things about the people who have been lost protecting the state of Israel. Unlike many countries, Israel still has a country-wide air raid siren system, which is used throughout the country to mark the moment of silence. It is an incredible scene to watch an entire country come to a halt, with people stopping on the street, cars coming to a stop on a highway and drivers exiting their vehicles to stand. It is unlike anything I've ever seen around the world. To look into the eyes of an Israeli on this day, you can see the pain that the country feels. I think it's safe to say that nearly every Israeli has lost someone in a military operation or terrorist attack. No one is unaffected and everyone uses this time to reflect on the sacrifice people have made for there to be a Jewish state. It is incredibly fitting for a country like Israel to have their day of remembrance right before their day of independence. At the stroke of midnight, the country goes from the most sad and negative memories to the most positive and joyful feelings of celebration, celebrating their freedom and life. Just like the joy of independence on this day 75 years ago, immediately switching into the fear and sadness of the War of Independence, those who give their lives for Israel are remembered right before we celebrate the miracle that is Israel. Israel's existence after facing multiple existential threats from its neighbors is nothing short of a miracle, against all rational odds. However, many Israelis continue to put their lives on the line to this day in order to ensure Israel continues to exist against its enemies. We need to take some time not only to remember those who have been lost, but to remember those many soldiers who continue to put their lives on the line to protect our homeland and give the Jews of the diaspora a place to go in case of emergency. I will end this podcast with a beautiful and tragic story. In 2006, a young American soldier from Pennsylvania named Michael Levin, much like the ones who secretly fled to Israel to support its independence, Michael went to go serve in the IDF to protect the Jewish state. Michael did not have to enlist because he was not an Israeli citizen. Once he enlisted, he was considered to be a lone soldier. A lone soldier is a diaspora Jewish person who has traveled to Israel to serve in the IDF and does not have the same support from family and loved ones nearby. They receive some extra support and time off to go home versus their Israeli counterparts. Michael's enlistment was not an easy one. According to a 2016 tablet article, it describes his situation this way. The legend goes that in the course of his enlistment, the gears of bureaucracy had gummed up, and Michael was waiting for weeks on several key documents that would allow him to enter basic training. Finally, he decided to go down to the admissions building, where he was promptly turned away from the front door due to him not having his right papers. Michael, undeterred, walked into the alley next to the building, pushing a dumpster up against the wall and climbed into a second-story window. Michael then found the appropriate office that he needed in order to get his enlistment sorted out. He was going to be a paratrooper, he decided, and one measly no wasn't going to stop him. Following a successful training, Michael was on leave to go home to the United States when in 2006 the Lebanon War broke out. Knowing that his unit had been called up, he anxiously tried to contact friends in Israel to find out what was happening. Shortly after, Michael left for Israel to go rejoin his unit fighting in Lebanon. Sometime later, Michael's mother was at work, and for some reason she was having trouble concentrating. The Consul General of Israel walked into her office, along with a rabbi. She said, I honestly thought the Consul General was here to meet with me about Michael. 
They brought her into an office and then broke the news. Michael had been killed in action in Lebanon. Michael had asked to be buried on Mount Herzl, the Israeli military cemetery in Jerusalem, should anything happen to him. The government and his family wanted to honor his wishes, so his family traveled to Israel for the funeral. As they pulled up on the day of the funeral, the mountain was overrun with soldiers and families. The family had thought that there must be other funerals going on, like the one they were attending today for their son. And yet, once they got there and the service began, it became very clear. All of those people that they had seen, around 2,000 people, had come to honor and pay respects to Michael, the American lone soldier who had died to protect the Jewish state. They found out that even though Michael had been a lone soldier, he had touched many people during his service, and Michael's life resonated with the Israelis. Maybe he reminded them of the people that once gave their lives to fight for Israel's independence. Today, the Lone Soldier Center in Israel has been named after him. For all of those people who might be listening that have lost someone in the IDF or in a horrible terrorist attack, may their memory be a blessing, and may God bless the people of Israel. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast. And don't forget to check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time.